1: A circus in town. No, yeah, there's actually that. a
0: circus, and they they had a big fire there over the weekend. Yeah? Yeah. Big fire at the circus. It was intense.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible.
0: It was terrible, I know. <laughs> All right, fine. Let's just get into it. All then. right, let's All go. Right. It's good. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) Well, hello there, friend. How are you? I'm good. good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So... We want to let you guys know, go check out our website, graveyardpodcast.com. Now, we say this all the time, but go check it out. You can get our episodes there. Uh, You can see the dates and everything for our live event. And you can get, Matt, why are you laughing?
1: (laughs) I'm laughing because right before we started recording, Adam was talking about having to edit out beard-scratching noises, and I mean, within like five seconds, I'm doing it. So <laughs> yeah. I am like, not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I just caught myself doing it. Uh, it it's the fleas.
0: Uh, it's, we've got to get you dipped so that we'll get rid of those fleas.
1: Well, I, I don't have any hair on my head. So <laughs> well,
0: that's where they all the go. On the top of my head. Right. They all go to the bottom of your head, though. That's the Scroll problem. Crawl out. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway go to go to graveyardpodcast.com you can see the dates and the times for the live event you can find a link to go buy tickets and there's a link on there for the Dark myths website that you can click over there. There's quite a few things on our website and we're going to be adding more stuff so keep checking back and going to that website um, Also, while you're on the interwebs, the WWws go over and follow us on social media if you are not on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. Um, our Facebook group is amazing. you know follow us, follow the page but also get in that Facebook group.
1: Yeah and this week especially we've had some really amazing personal experience being shared right and a, a lot of fantastic comments. People offering assistance and, and ideas on some of these things that are going on with, uh, with some of our listeners and our group members. And, man, I'm telling you, we talk about this all the time, but it it just floors me. I mean, we've got some great, great listeners we out do. there.
0: We do, except you know? for that one person. But yeah, you got to watch out for them. But other than that. Well, we're not going to tell you who it is. No. You other just, than,
1: you'll know it when
0: you meet them. Right. Other <laughs> than that one dude, everybody's awesome. Now, we haven't ran into that dude yet, so we don't, but we know he's out there. Yeah, he's out there. He's just hadn't, you know, perked his head up out of the weeds yet. He
1: has one too many Bud Lights and he decides, (laughs) I'm going to troll the Graveyard Tales group.
0: (laughs) So go check out the Facebook group, get on Twitter. Um, You can follow the uh, Graveyard Tales page on Twitter and Matt and I also have personal pages I don't do much on my personal page. It's mainly on the uh, the group page um, and also on Instagram. But why don't we go ahead and take a quick break, Matt? All right. Matt, did you know the average person spends one third of their life sleeping? Now, if they tried harder, I think they could probably get a little more in. But that means it's very important to be comfortable in the bed.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I've heard that. That's why Amanda and I got a Casper mattress. Really? Which one did y'all end up getting? We got the original. It came right to the house in this little box about the size of a dorm fridge. We opened it up, put it on the bed, and watched it expand. It was amazing. That's really cool. That night was the best night's sleep I had gotten in years.
0: That's awesome.
1: So the Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amount of sink and bounce and a breathable design to help you sleep cool.
0: Now, I I sleep cool a lot, but (laughs) I know what you mean. Um, They also have the Wave and the Essential mattresses. Now, the Wave is a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body, and the Essential is a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night.
1: Yeah, and they come at an affordable price because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you, delivered right to your door in a small, how-did-they-do-that sized box.
0: It really is tiny. Um, They offer hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied, and the shipping and the
1: returns are free. That's amazing. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. And
0: you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com forward slash grave and using the code grave at checkout. Again, that's casper.com forward slash grave and use the code grave at checkout. All right, Matt, we are back. So what are we talking about tonight?
1: Okay, tonight we, we are going to discuss... The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And um, this place, this place is it up.
0: It really is. I
1: mean, before, back when it was actually an, a working, operating insane asylum. Mm-hmm. And now. Yeah. When it is a haunted, uh, closed insane asylum. Yeah. It re- I mean... <laughs>
0: I I was talking to a buddy at work about it a little bit, and that's all I could say is that, you know, the entire history of this thing has been just, I mean,
1: it's horrible, you know, Yeah. bad. I mean, we've talked about this before, when the, the actual history of a place is just as scary as the, the ghost stories that yeah. come out of it? Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is one of those places.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. So, you know, get ready. Right. I mean, really get ready. And just want to mention that some of the stories that come out are kind of graphic. hmm And so, you know, we're going to go at them in our usual Graveyard tale style. So- we're not going to be giving you real horrific descriptions, but if you've got some younger listeners in your car or at the house, um, just just know that there there are some things that might be a little scary. So right. listener discretion is advised.
0: It, it's not going to be you know uh, the Walking Dead fest here, no. but it, it is a little more sensitive than some of the other ones. So that's our PSA for the episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, Adam, tell us a little bit about the history of this place.
0: All right. Well, a little bit is an understatement um, because this place has a history. Yeah. I mean, it really has a history. Now, let's go back all the way back to the 1700s. Now, during the 1700s, the treatment of someone who was deemed insane was pretty much barbaric. Um, You know, those without family or friends who would take responsibility for them were mostly placed into prisons in the company of criminals, often chained to walls, unclothed regardless of the temperature, and just covered in their own filth. Some families who did take responsibility for them, but you know, they they were more concerned with hiding the problematic relatives to invoid to invoid. That's a good word. (laughs) I'm gonna start using invoid now. I don't either, but I'm going to start making something up for it. They, they tried to avoid, that's the word, embarrassment amongst the community. So they would just hide them Yeah, rather than helping them.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that was almost uh, a, sh- a shameful thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was, unfortunately, yeah. you know, so you were, you were hidden away. Yeah. And, but again,
1: it, a lot of it was misunderstood.
0: Oh, Sure. Sure. Um, But they would stash people away in attics or in sheds or even holes in the ground to keep them away from people. Um, It wasn't until the 1770s that facilities began to be constructed specifically to house people who were deemed insane. But again, those places, you know, they were designed to keep the person out of society and not really help the problem or help them reassimilate into society. So in the 1800s, this kind of brought about a much-needed change um, to the the world of the insane. Through the efforts of a lot of enlightened individuals, most prominently Dorothea Dix, the uh, desperate plight of the insane, was brought to the attention of the public. So lawmakers were forced to you know, give funds to different communities and stuff to help with a more humane care. Um, By mid-century, Thomas Kirkbride had a theory of creating a curative environment, and this ended up taking hold about, you know, mid-1800s or so. And this is when the age of the asylum arrived. So the Kirkbride plan... And that that's something that we may you may hear us mention a couple times, but that that's kind of what led to the construction of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. So it influenced actually the construction of over three hundred similar facilities throughout North America. And in the twentieth century, they they ended up bringing changes in the treatment you know, philosophy, the deinstitutionalization of the, quote, insane people, and kind of more of a community-based treatment. Um, There was the theory of building as cure in this Kirkbride plan, um, but it ended up being discredited a little later. The expense of maintaining these facilities combined with, you know, the physical deterioration of all these things Uh, of all the buildings, really, in the long run, forced them to be abandoned and demolished, which led to where we're at today. Um, But the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was constructed between 1858 and 1881. Now, it's considered the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America, which is saying something. Um, And it's also supposedly the second largest in the world. The only one that's bigger than that is supposed to be the Kremlin. It was originally called the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane and then later the Weston State Hospital. A lot of skilled stonemasons were brought in from Germany and Ireland to contribute to the architecture. And, you know, if you think about it, We say, we talk about it a lot, but the stone tape theory, Mm -hmm. this is a ginormous stone building. Yep. So keep that in mind as we go through what's happened there. And then as we get into the accounts and everything that Matt has, that may be part of why it's so prevalent there still.
1: Yeah. It's like a big giant recorder.
0: Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, we'll eventually go into, not in this episode, but we'll go into the whole stone tape theory and what they say about it, because I've seen a couple people ask. So we will kind of go over that for you, but we don't have time in this episode. We got a lot to get through in this episode. Now, the original hospital, um, it was designed to house 250 people, and it was open to patients starting in 1864, but it reached its peak in the 1950s with 2,400 patients.
1: Yeah, that is a huge jump.
0: Yep, it was designed for 250, and they had 2,400 patients in this building.
1: Yeah, where where were they keeping them all? Just shoved into rooms yep. and stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. I and well, and I found some stuff
1: <laughs> about
0: that. Um, that that. Kind of explains some more of it too. But in the first years of the asylum's history, um, the institution was plagued with a lot of difficulties. Now, they had the financial troubles um, that we kind of touched on, but also Confederate soldiers raided the asylum and they appropriated the blankets that belonged to the patients. Um, And in a second raid, an entire ward was destroyed. People of Weston ended up donating a lot of their blankets to the patients that were there, so kind of helped them get through that. But then the Civil War broke out, and it broke out in April of 1861. And during the war, the partially built asylum and surrounding grounds became Camp Tyler, and it established Weston as an important military post. And it was vital to the control of all those well-traveled roads that went through that western area. Um, the completed southern wing of the asylum provided barracks for the troops, and the main foundation served as a stable. Now, control of this area swapped hands quite a few times during the war, um, so it wasn't just the.
1: It, it wasn't just a Confederate. Right deal.
0: Right, it was confederates, union. Everybody kind of took control of it back and forth. So there's a lot of history there. At the end of the war, the completion of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was prioritized. You know, because of that, there were so many other towns that were financially ruined by the war, and they would remain destitute for decades. But Weston ended up not experiencing a post-war depression. Business ended up booming as the asylum established itself as the primary economic resource for the town, and it remained that way for a hundred and thirty years. As of now, um, there are two gas wells on the property. These were both drilled in around 1902 um, in order to supply the institution with gas for their own needs and everything. You know, they discovered that while they were drilling holes to look for a well site so that they could provide their own water. But the water supply is something of a problem there uh, because the only source for this supply is the West Fork River. Now, keep in mind, again, we talked about the stone. Now we've got the river next to it. And this seems to be a common thing in a lot of stuff we talk about. You know, there's flowing water. And there's a lot of stone to record it. So, you know, we're building a case here for possible hauntings.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all that natural gas.
0: Yeah. That <laughs> didn't come from the asylum itself.
1: <laughs> it, uh, it may have come from the uh, the residents there.
0: Yeah, well, you know.
1: More beans, Mr. Taggart. <laughs>
0: yeah. Beans and cornbread. That's all you get. Changes in the treatment of mental illness and everything, you know, ended up forcing the closure of the asylum in 1994, which had a devastating effect on the local economy.
1: Now, um, now, now just 94. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's recent. Yep. This place was in operation until
0: 1994.
1: Yes. I mean, that, it's insane.
0: Right. Literally,
1: literally yeah. and figuratively. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, to think that a place like this, when you start hearing about the treatment of the the patients there, and you think this place <laughs> survived till 94. Yeah. That's just, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, because, you know, when when we get into talking about the treatment of the patients, not all of this stuff happened in the early 1900s. Right. You know, uh, there was a lot of it happening in the mid-1900s up to the late-1900s, and it didn't change. You know, the treatment of the patients there was brutal the entire time. So let's talk about the 21st century a little bit. Um, You know, this is after it closed down, and it has become the tourist attraction that it is now. Um, There are three small museums that are devoted to military history, toys, and mental health. And they were open on the first floor of the main hospital building in 2004, but they ended up being forced to close soon after due to fire code violations. So what we have now. Yeah, they
1: had like 2,400 people in a building meant for 250.
0: Right, <laughs> right. But the the museums were the fire code violation. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, you can't be having this museum over here,
0: right? It's a we got, hazard.
1: We got forty-five people in this little room. Yeah. Oh, well, that's all right.
0: That's fine. <laughs> so, uh, but now the main building of the asylum, which is known as the Kirkbride, holds several rooms that serve as the museum, and that's all located on the first floor. Um, there are paintings, poems, and drawings made by patients in the art therapy programs and a room that's dedicated to the different medical treatments and restraints used in the past, and artifacts such as straitjackets and hydrotherapy tubs. Now, the tour guides dress in clothes that resemble 19th century nurse outfits, you know, blue dress, white apron, white cap, and white shoes. Um, The shorter historical tour that you can take offers uh, visitors to see, you know, the first floor of the Kirkbride, while the longer historical tour allows visitors to see all four of the floors, apartments of the staff, the morgue, and the operating room. Now, aside from the historical tours, there are also two paranormal tours. Both start as the sun sets. The shorter tour lasts around two to three hours, but the longer tour is an entire overnight tour, and you have the option of having a private tour.
1: Yep, and from what what I read, it'll set you back a cool 100 bucks.
0: Yep. And it's not cheap for a ghost tour.
1: Right. But if you're into this,
0: yeah. Well, you know. 100 eh, bucks? I would say it's probably worth it I, once we I'd get say into It's
1: absolutely worth yeah, it. Yeah. I read some accounts of people that have actually taken that tour. Yeah. I'd say it's absolutely worth.
0: Yeah. It, so. It's on the the graveyard bucket list for sure. Yeah. You know.
1: We can just leave Bobby Mackey's and start driving that way. There
0: you go. That's a good idea.
1: (laughs) If we survive.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a big if. Okay. So before we get into the conditions and stuff, I got a couple little fun facts for you here that'll kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Fun
1: facts with Adam about the lunatic asylum.
0: Yeah. So not really fun, but, you know, interesting facts. (laughs) Um, oh, they
1: might be fun. You never know.
0: They might be. <laughs> so found this little article that I'll read. It says, although best known for his crimes in Southern California in the late 1960s, Charles Manson had deep ties to West Virginia. Born in Cincinnati, a young Manson was shuffled around between foster homes, extended family members, and penal institutions. In 1939, Manson's mother and an accomplice named Luther Maddox were arrested in Charleston, West Virginia, for robbing Frank Martin. The pair's only weapon was a ketchup bottle. Now, following... <laughs> Bet you didn't know that, did you?
1: Hey, that's fun fact! It is a fun fact, right? <laughs> See, there
0: you go. So, following his mother's arrest, Manson was sent to live with an aunt and uncle in the small town of McMachin, McMeckin, West Virginia. Anybody in West Virginia, let me know how badly I pronounce that. Um, By most accounts, Manson was a well-adjusted kid, in quotes, um, who went to church often and liked to play with other children outside. However, by the time Manson entered Central McMechan, I don't know, um, he was already engaged in petty theft and other crimes. And at some point, Manson was sent to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which put him as the building's most infamous patient. So there you go. Manson spent some time at the asylum. Yeah. Another fun fact is one of the more persistent stories about the asylum is that it actually sits above a complex of uh, of tunnels. So while many people have sought out the rumored entrances to the tunnels, um, you know, like during the ghost tours and everything, they'll be looking for them. No one has actually found any of the tunnels. So but despite this, many still claim that the tunnels exist. One of the more common explanations is that the tunnels were built for the purpose of, you know, getting tuberculosis victims and corpses away from the hospital so they couldn't spread disease. And, you know, this kind of goes along with the the theory of the body shoots that are from the Waverly Hills sanatorium. Yep. Yeah, um, which is reading about those. another big asylum that held, you know, tuberculosis patients. So now that the fun facts are over, let's get into the conditions. Let's get into how bad this crap really <laughs> not was. Not fun. No, this is this is the not fun part that, uh, you know, put earmuffs on the kids for mm-hmm. Um, probably starting about this point in the shoe. So while in operation. The trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum prided itself on being entirely self-sufficient. Um, it had its own farm, waterworks, and even its own cemetery. So in a lot of ways, it was a self-contained city uh, with its own system of divided labor and management. But they were unable to keep up with the number of patients that ended up coming there. So this you know, it continued to grow every day. And this is what kind of contributed to the conditions declining so rapidly. Patients began to be crammed together, sometimes four or five of them in a room that was intended for one. And the farm and the dairy on the compound originally intended to meet the needs of 300 were unable to meet the demand that came with this overcrowding. So, only designed for three hundred, and we had twenty-four hundred eventually. So that tells you right there, people weren't being fed like they should. That's been. right. Despite the plans of Doctor Kirkbride, the asylum ended up becoming known for engaging in a wide array of horrifying medical practices before it closed in ninety-four. The asylum performed brutal treatments such as shock therapy, seclusion cells. Cold water baths and lobotomies. Now, in regards to the lobotomies, the hospital frequently hosted Dr. Walter Freeman. Um, He was a traveling physician who specialized in lobotomies. And Freeman preferred his preferred tool to do this was an ice pick. Now, although it's not known for certain how many patients Freeman ended up screwing with, with this. Insane lobotomy practice.
1: Let me pick your brain.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For real. I'm sorry.
1: That was too easy.
0: Yeah, it was. We're being serious, Matt. Dad <laughs> Dadgummit. <laughs> um, but many people claim that the uh, the asylum contained lobotomized patients well into the 80s. So <laughs> that just kind of gives you a little bit of uh, you know scope there on it. When we thought the medical practices were getting better, you know, there were lobotomized patients still in the asylum in the 80s. So for me, that doesn't feel like that long ago.
1: No, it's not that long ago.
0: Well, it kind of is that long ago for some of these kids that were born in the 2000s. But for you and me, it's not that long ago. That's right. I mean, (laughs) if
1: if I can remember what I was doing.
0: Right.
1: You know, at around that time, right. That's not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that old.
0: <laughs> the look that he just gave me. <laughs> I'm not that old and then his eyes kind of crossed a little bit.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm in the middle.
0: <laughs> yeah. In the middle of something. So, although a lot of these treatments were norm throughout American psychiatric hospitals, the Trans-Allegheny Asylum gained a reputation for being exceptionally brutal. It, it had a forced behavior modification plan that the sole treatment at the asylum for decades, and it led to numerous deaths at the site. Um, just by the name of that, you can tell it's not good. Forced behavior modification is not right. a good thing. Patients ended up starving like we talked about with the farm and everything, not being able to keep up. And this only contributed to the declining mental health. By 1938, Trans-Allegheny was six times over capacity. The patients inside were running wild, unable to be controlled by the orderlies inside. A report issued by a group of medical organizations described the population as being compromised of Compromise, being comprised of epileptics, alcoholics, drug addicts, and non-educable mental defectives, end quotes. At its peak in the 1950s, the hospital was holding 2,600 patients. Let me say that again. 2,600 patients.
1: Yep. So if you're keeping score, we, we have a facility that was designed to hold 250. Mm-hmm. Now is at twenty six hundred. Yep. And now the the thing that comes to my mind is, uh, plumbing capacity. Right. Turlets. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, yeah. You, you ever you ever been to a you ever been to an NFL game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you could miss the third quarter. You know, waiting to go to the bathroom. Right. Now we're talking about. And it's it's designed for eighty thousand people.
0: Yeah, yep. And now
1: imagine, just just think, a building that is supposed to house two hundred and fifty people. Yeah, has you know, it would have times bathrooms to support right two hundred and fifty people
0: right. over ten times its capacity. Yeah,
1: man. Imagine how disgusting this.
0: Oh, it, yeah. Uh, you know, it, the, the conditions inside were horrible, um, yeah. you know, excrement all over the place because yeah. they didn't have any place, you know, like you said, the bathrooms and the way they treated the patients, yeah. they and, weren't going to clean it up.
1: And if you had people that were truly mentally ill shoved in there, you know, along with the other people that were just dropped off, mm-hmm. you know, the. They, they may not even have the capacity to understand right. that you don't just use the bathroom over here in the corner of the room.
0: Right. Or in the middle of the room. Right.
1: You know, or on this guy, sleeping. Right. You know, so, yeah, this is nightmarish.
0: Right. Now, to expose these terrible conditions within, the Charleston Gazette attempted to send in a crew to investigate the inner workings of the asylum. Now, the quote is, what they found shocked them. And I think that's kind of an understatement. Um, uh, Maybe not the understatement of the century, but quite an understatement. They found that patients were sleeping on the floor and in freezing rooms due to a lack of furniture and heat. Um, The overcrowding had resulted in an overworked staff and a decreased emphasis on sanitation.
1: So you think you hate your job.
0: Yeah, right. Imagine Um,
1: being an orderly at this place. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, What was once bright, clear windows were covered with grime, darkening and further chilling the rooms. The wallpaper was peeling from decay, and where it hadn't disintegrated on its own, the patients had torn it off in rages of panic. The patients who the orderlies deemed unable to be controlled had been locked in cages in open spaces in an attempt to make more bedrooms available for less worrisome patients. Now, by the time the asylum would close, the graveyard had been expanded so that now everything sits on 666 acres.
1: Wow. Believe it or not. (laughs) Nice. Um,
0: But they had to expand the graveyard to keep up with the rapidly dying patients. So they were dying fast. Now, there were several cases, both reported and unreported, of patients killing other patients. Now, in one instance, two patients hung one of their fellows using a set of bed sheets. He ended up not dying, so the pair cut him down and used a metal bed frame to crush his head. And Matt has more on that here in a minute. So stick around, guys. Yeah, hey. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Teaser. (laughs) Right. Teaser. So even the staff was not immune to the violence. Many former employees reported that they were attacked while on duty, and one evening, a nurse went missing. Her body was not found for two months, and when they found it, it was hidden at the bottom of an unused staircase. So, along with the deplorable two months, two months along with the deplorable conditions, there is rampant murder and attacks happening, and by the patients and to the patients and everything.
1: And and no age requirement.
0: Right. Yeah, we forgot to mention that at the top. So that,
1: there was, there were children here. Right. So now yeah it's better now. It's better you hear this now because you've heard how horrific this place was. And then when you think there were children here as well. Right. And there there are there are stories that relate to the children that were there how they got there. And we'll touch on this a little bit more because it does play into one of the most famous ghost stories coming out of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. But they not only would take children that were deemed mentally ill, they took children that the parents just couldn't afford to, to keep right, or just didn't want.
0: Right. And that, that's sad
1: yeah and not only that the asylum would pay they would pay right when these children were admitted mhm i mean if if you just thought how could this place get any more terrible yeah bam
0: there you go that's how there you go that's how it was a dumping ground for you know, unwanted yeah. people, children. Yeah, that's, that's elderly.
1: That is the best best way to put it. Um, Un- unwanted people.
0: Yep, yeah. and and you know, it to look at where we're at in society now, it's just it's almost unfathomable to believe that this was the way we treated people. Right. You know, you've got a problem. Well, I'm going to put you away over here so that you don't mess up my perfect life. You know. Um, you got a kid that's causing trouble. Well, I don't want to take care of it. So, uh, Trans-Allegheny will take them and they'll give me money for it. That's right. So go take them there. And then the kid ends up being a test subject for Mr. Freeman and his ice pick. You know, it's, it's, I don't know, man, I don't have the words, you know, it's just, it's crazy.
1: So. All of the horrors that occurred while this place was in operation just feeds the fuel for it to be one of one of the most haunted places mm-hmm. in in the US. You know, definitely in West Virginia. Sure. And and you know, Adam and I have talked about this before. What in God's name did West Virginia do to to get all of this. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked about the Flatwoods Monster. We, we've not discussed it, but we've mentioned the Mothman. Mm-hmm. This place. I mean, there's just so much that comes out of West Virginia. Right. And it's amazing. But let's get into some of these creepy ghost stories.
0: Please do. That's why people are here.
1: That's right. So... Uh, Let's let's start off talking about just. Let's say you you decide, okay, I, I'm gonna go and and take take the tour. I want to take the all night, you know the the big money ghost tour because I want to experience something. Let's talk a little I'll bit about.
0: I'll say it. Okay, I, I want to take the ghost tour. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: Well thanks for saying. That. <laughs> You're welcome. You asked me to. Let, let's kind of let's just talk about some of the general things that you would possibly uh experience while this tour. Now, some people are of the opinion that the 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 asylum got its hell-like condition because of the evil influence of demonic creatures now, why, why would demons be attracted to this place? Well, the theory is, is that someone that is mentally ill or mentally challenged does not have the capacity to, to block this out. Right. And that they are easy prey for demons. Right. And that would draw demonic activity To a location that housed so many people. Right. And let me tell you, if you were perfectly sane when you got there and somebody was just dumping you off, you weren't. No. Forever. No. I mean, being in those kind of conditions would drive you mad. Sure. So that, you know, would just increase the population of people with, you know, mental conditions that, according to this theory, would draw even more activity. Right. Right. And that evil would just grow and multiply to uh, to fuel the fire, so to speak, of the actions of some of the staff and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the patients that were there. Right. And we've talked about that before with yeah. the emotions. Right. And more so than ghost hauntings. Right. You know, we're, we're talking about two different things here. You know, the ghosts of the people that were were living there. You know, are definitely present mm-hmm. ac- according to, you know, the the research that's been done and and the people that have gone there to do do ghost hunts and the staff that's there currently, you know, doing these tours, you know, they've had numerous experiences the the ghost activity is there. So, but you know, the idea that there there was demonic activity while this place was in operation, you know, it, it it explains some of the evil sure, because yeah, not all the yeah. ghosts there are are necessarily bad right um you know they're just kind of there so what might you expect to experience so some of the claims from people that have been on the tour or done ghost hunts there spent spent the night there claim that they will see the illusions of how the hospital was when it was still active ah you know staff members patients interacting going about their daily routine almost like you're seeing a mirage mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing these things being played out in front of you like you're watching a, a film you know you're looking down a hall of an abandoned uh ward and next thing you know you're seeing nurses and doctors and and patients coming here and there and everywhere it, it almost appears like it slip. did yeah almost it appeared like it did you know 60 70 years ago mm-hmm. um the, the silence of a place like this will get broken by the sound of giggling and laughing. Mm. And there are people who have observed smoky figures moving around here and there, not only within the building itself, but out in the cemetery. You can hear sounds produced by someone running or walking through the corridors, uh, but yet there's nobody there. Uh, you will, um, you on the fourth floor in particular, they say that you can hear voices, you know, hear sounds, screams, um, and they believe it's because the, uh, there was a fire, the fire on the fourth floor took so many victims, and so there were so many, so many deaths at one time that it's, it's very, very active right there. Um There are people who claim to have gotten the smell of a decomposing body. And there is a theory that this could be the spirit of one Brian Scott Lee, who committed suicide in the building and was discovered eight days later. Yeah. Eight days. You know, that's crazy. That's like two months to find a murdered nurse. And eight days to find a patient that committed suicide.
0: Yeah, that kind of speaks to how much was going
1: on there that they didn't see him. Right. You know. I mean, oh, he's just over there sleeping. Right. You know. Uh. -uh. Yeah. But when you you think about it, if you've got a building that's housing that many people, you know, that's just the patients. I mean, imagine the staff that had to be there, too. Mm -hmm. You know, so you might not notice something like that. You might not want to notice something like right. that. I mean, imagine, you know, the staff probably didn't go and, you know, check on these people like they were supposed to. They might have gone days before sure. one of the patients ever even actually saw one of the staff members. Right. So um, some of the ghost hunters have that have been up there and, and done done these hunts um, reported that they see two ghostly entities fighting with each, with each other and they appear for a little while and then just will disappear suddenly so those are some of the things that that people have experienced while while doing ghost hunts and 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 on the uh on the tours um one thing that's really curious is that the uh, appearance and disappearance of of stray cats
0: hmm.
1: with like really weird appearance you know they'll see these ghost cats right. specter cats Specter Cats. What if it's like Thundercats?
0: No, that's that's my band name in college. Specter
1: Cats. Specter Cats. Yeah, oh, yeah, I like it. Okay, so let's break Ska down. Band. <laughs> <Ska> band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, so let's talk about. Let's break. I'm, I've broken this down into what's happening on on each floor of the asylum. So let's talk about the first floor. The first floor has a wing that was also called the Civil War wing, which is the oldest part of the hospital. Uh it's sometimes referred to as the veterans area. Now, on the in the Civil War wing, apparitions of Civil War soldiers have been reported and it's not sure because like Adam mentioned, you know, during the Civil War, this place was inhabited by uh, soldiers from both sides. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's kind of hard to determine if this is, you know, you're, you're seeing a, a stone tape kind of thing where right. you're seeing the replay of soldiers having been stationed there or having moved in there after one of the the battles to to take over that area. Right. Or are you seeing one of the many Civil War soldiers that was admitted there? because of shell shock true what yep. we what we now call PTSD right um, so they, they're not really sure but they have been seen so you know the apparitions of soldiers in in civil war gear um, Also on the first floor there was a patient named Ruth who was very violent towards men and they're not exactly sure why uh, but she was. And apparently her spirit still is. Um, So men will often report that things will be thrown at them. Uh, A number of men have been pushed up against walls and have heard whistling sounds coming from down the the hallway. And this is where they will actually directly encounter the ghost of Ruth. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that, uh, that's pretty creepy. Yeah. Okay, so let's go upstairs and let's check out what's going on on the second
0: floor. All right, sounds okay. good.
1: So on the second floor, Ward 2, this was the general purpose ward. And um, you go on down a little bit further, and there's a section that was the men's ward. Um, now, in Ward 2, there was a room where a man was stabbed 17 times Yeesh. by another patient. Now, this is where the shadowy figures have been seen. And so just across the hall from this, two patients committed suicide by hanging themselves from curtain rods uh, within that room. And a number of investigators have captured EVPs saying, get out at this location. And many will hear their names called out by the spirits. Oh, now, wow. Now, y- you... If you're a ghost and you're listening and you really want to creep us out, call us by name. Right. We're done. Yep. You know. For real. Hey, hey, you dropped a hundred bucks on this tour. I don't care. Yeah. Right. Whatever's here knows my name. You know me. I'm out. Right. I don't don't wear wear a name badge. (laughs) Right. And uh, yeah. So I'm just, I just assumed, you know, hey, when I'm here, you know, my name's Jim.
0: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, see, I don't want anything knowing my name because it may follow me home. Right. And that <laughs> that brings up something that uh, I'm meaning to talk to you about, Matt. I am actually in the market. I'm looking for legitimately looking for a true, legitimate, like amulet, protective amulet for when we go places. Because I've got, you know, the San Sampalo wood and, and the sage and everything. But I got to find somebody who legitimately has... An amulet I of protection.
1: W- we may have to take a trip to New Orleans to
0: find that. Yeah, probably so. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, when, this sounds like something you pick up at a voodoo mm-hmm. shop,
0: and I may know where to get it down there. But if anybody out there listening knows where Adam can get a protective amulet, like legitimately, let us know. Email me. I'm legitimately looking for one. He's looking. Look, he's one. looking. Yeah, he's,
1: he's on the hunt. And and if it if it looks really funny, yeah,
0: yeah, right. You get
1: bonus points. Right. it's totally ridiculous.
0: Uh, No phalluses. I'm not wearing a phallus amulet, Matt.
1: (laughs) No, it's going to be like, it'll be like a clown's head with a, like a jewel in his mouth.
0: God, (laughs) I may never wear that. That's creepy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's find, let's find Adam the craziest looking protective (laughs) amulet we can.
0: And just force me to wear something really ridiculous. Now
1: look, now look, I'm just, since he brought it up, I'm going to say this. In in the world of 3D printing, we we can make Adam an absolute ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> protective amulet, <laughs> like something that says "ghosts go away from me." Yeah, you know that he can wear, you know, when when we go out to to do one of these things that we keep talking about what we're gonna do, but we've only done like one or two.
0: Yeah. So, and um, something that says "move,
1: beep, get out the way." <laughs> Get out the way, ghost. Get out the way. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, let's. I want to see it. I want to see it. I know. I know. Out of all the listeners, we got somebody, a bunch of them's got 3D printers. Oh, sure. I want to see this thing. We've reached the end of the hall. So let's go upstairs again. So we're going up to the third floor. All right. So this is where the geriatrics ward was, along with the nursing quarters. And the auditorium, which actually once housed plays and movies, and there was a chapel there uh, for a time. Yeah, after a while, it, you know, they said, "Nah, we're out of here. This place, ungodly place. We're we're leaving." Huh. Um, it also hosted policemen's balls in the past. Um, don't laugh. Um, <laughs> the the, uh, the opposite. I wasn't going to tell you said that. <laughs> uh, we're in fourth grade. What can we? Say? Yeah. The the opposite hallway is where some of the most violent female patients were housed in the past. Uh, Individual isolation cells were where many were shackled to the floor, originally in chains and then later in leather restraints. At the end of the isolation hallway is a place called Dean's Room, where this is the patient that Adam hinted at was almost hung by two fellow patients. And when they noticed that he was still moving and he, he fought hard enough to not die, they got mad. And so they cut him down. And what these two guys did is they drugged Dean into this other room, okay? They beat him up to the point where he was unconscious. Then they took this guy and they put his head, Underneath the foot of a metal bed. Now we've all seen these things, Mm -hmm. metal beds. You know these, you know from these old old hospitals. They put his head under there. Then both men jumped onto the bed, Mm. crushing his skull.
0: Good grief!
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, this was this was some of the stuff that was going on, and uh, it it's. Just, just a horrible, horrible story. But you don't die in that kind of manner and just go peacefully into that good night. Right. So Dean is still around. And so the ghost of Dean haunts the room where his violent murder took place it, at the end of that isolation hallway. There is also a nurse named Elizabeth, and she can be seen here as well now. Elizabeth appears at the end of the hallway and apparently just looks like she's going about her job. You know, she doesn't really interact. She looks like she's, you know, looking at charts, checking on patients, things like that. But she has been seen, you know, enough times that, you know, she's she's a named entity there.
0: Right. Just a strong memory.
1: There is another one uh, at the end of the hall. Uh, A ghost called Big Jim. And now, Big Jim has been encountered several times, and there's actually EVP recordings, you know, of Big Jim. So, in the nursing quarters, there, doors open and close by themselves. Now, in the geriatric hallway, this is another place where the shadowy figures are encountered and many strange noises. Now, across the geriatrics ward, um, this is the area where the violent female patients were kept mm-hmm. you can hear uh, footsteps screams disembodied voices and this is also another place where people hear their names called out mm. so um and there there is one story it's not directly associated with the third floor but there was a uh, uh like a he, he wasn't he wasn't a janitor I think he was one of the guards but his name was Charlie mm-hmm and he's another one that they that is seen uh, very commonly, and and there's EVPs. Um, one one of the stories I read was of of a family that actually decided this was a tour they were going to take, family vacation. We're going to go take this ghost tour.
0: Sounds like my family and, vacation.
1: And so the dad just having some fun uh, starts kind of trying to to r- rattle Charlie's chain, so to speak. And, you know, is just kind of kidding around, you know, like, Hey, Charlie, come on, you know, let's, you know, you know, talk to me, you know, whatever is. And I think he, he mistakenly calls him a janitor and then turns around and tells his wife what she's like, what? He's like, did you just tell me to shut up? She goes, no, I didn't tell you to shut up. <laughs> But he says that in his ear, he hears a voice that says, shut up, loud enough that he thought it was his wife who was standing next to him telling him to shut up. Well, you don't mess with
0: ghosts like that. That's do you right. right. <laughs> don't antagonize.
1: Yeah. So don't don't, don't poke the bear. Right. <laughs> if you do, you better stand behind Adam because he's got this ridiculous protection amulet. Right,
0: on. right. <laughs> You'll you'll be glad of my ridiculousness then.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. So moving on up, you know, the Jeffersons, here we go, to the fourth floor. All right. So fourth floor hallway. This is the floor that was gutted by fire in 1935, and they installed wooden floorboards instead of concrete. So um, this is a really creepy part of the building because you can really hear footsteps, you know, around this place. Um, uh, Ward R is located on this floor and this is where the most famous ghost, um, is spotted, uh, or communicated with, um, and her name is Lily. Now we're going to talk more about Lily in just a second. Um, another investigating group was here on the fourth floor taking pictures and they captured, what looked like a big black blob, which was indistinguishable. And then they asked their, their ghost box, what, uh, what it was. And the ghost box said demon. Yeah. Again, I'm out. Right. Yeah. Look, I, I like ghosts. You know, it'd be cool, you know, to catch an EVP or to see an apparition. I don't screw around with demons.
0: Yeah, no. Okay,
1: I mean, demons are a whole nother thing. Adam and I have talked about this. You know, I don't want to mess with demons. I'm cool with ghosts, but demons, I'm out. So, once it said demon, they'll be like, "Hey, where'd Matt go?" Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Where where did where did Jim go? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he can't be telling this demon his name.
0: Right. Okay. It's then, like Scooby Doo. You hear the and then
1: a yeah. There's another apparition on the first floor that's called the creeper that apparently crawls or slinks around on the floor. Um, this, you can hear the sound of someone or something banging on pipes. Um, and uh, it, it's often heard in the ghosts of both uh, two people named Jesse and Andrew uh, frequent this hallway. So um, that's, the hauntings floor by floor. And we fourth mentioned seems to be active. the fourth is active. And, and like we said, it's the one that had the fire. So there were so many deaths there um, that appears to be why it, it's the most active floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we touched on Lily. So she is, you know, if if you look up the, the trans Allegheny uh, lunatic asylum, this is the first thing you're going to see. It's going to talk about Lily. OK, so let's let's give it a little let's give you a little history. So the, the legend is, is that Lily was a little girl who spent all or most of her short, sad life inside the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Now, some believe that she was dropped off at the hospital like an unwanted child by parents who couldn't or wouldn't care for her. Another story is that she was actually born at the hospital shortly after her mother was committed. Taken in and cared for by hospital staff until she died tragically of pneumonia at the age of nine. Now, after her death, her spirit remained inside the asylum, because it was the only home she'd ever really known. Now, she is the most active of all the spirits in the hospital. Lily likes to play games. And she likes to, you know, interact with visitors. She's not shy. And she has become especially close to some of the current guides. Her room is painted a cheery yellow. It's one of the brightest in the building. And although the the peeling walls and the broken windows uh, remind you that there's no living person occupying the space, and the iron bars on the window are a good reminder of the realities of the life that she had to live there. Mm-hmm. Now, the room, Lily's room, is stocked with a variety of toys, including a pink and white music box with a miniature ballerina. Um, And it plays a little lullaby whenever the box is opened. The music box sometimes decides that it's going to play all on its own.
0: Lily's got to hear a
1: tune. Yeah, that's right. You know, give her an iPod. Right. Um, Other items such uh, other atoms, other items. (laughs) Now he's got me doing it. There can't be any more me. Baby dolls, plastic bouncy balls. They're all scattered around the room. Some visitors will come and and leave gifts and toys for Lily. And these toys have been set out as an invitation to play, have been known to move on them by themselves or in response to commands. Now, Lily's another one that has done the flashlight trick. Now, I don't I don't care anything about the flashlight trick, but she has pushed and moved balls and toys um, without any kind of there's no air movement there. Um, There's nobody else there to to kind of pull some sleight of hand and, and move something without you seeing it. You know, this has been witnessed several times, not just by people on the tour, but the guides have a lot of stories about these things, too.
0: And that'll get your attention.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it'll absolutely get your attention. So Lily will on occasion roll the ball back and forth with visitors in this really creepy game of catch. Uh, She also seems to really enjoy um, these ghostly play dates and visitors often will hear giggles, um, sometimes sweet, sometimes kind of scary. Uh, echoing down the halls. Now the guides at the asylum have developed a special bond with Lily's spirit, determining that she's been tra- she is to be treated with kindness and respect. So, Lily remembers and favors frequent visitors, so that she will interact with people that have been there multiple times, and she will do this in very specific ways. So, paranormal investigator Aaron Solser has investigated the asylum a dozen times, and he claims that one of Lily's favorite games uh, involves the music box and the flashlight. So um, there is a local historian named Shelly Bailey who claims to encountered Lily several times, leaving little gifts for her, such as toys, and at one occasion, a box of Cracker Jacks, which moved on its own. mm she said she heard the distinct sound of a box opening and crunching, coming from the same area, and a captured EVP politely says, "Thank you for the snacks." Hmm. So now I watched an interview with Shelly when she's describing this situation, mm-hmm. and she says the box actually began to spin around. Oh wow! But never truly opened, but you could hear the sound of it opening and the sound of the crunching. Right. And she's like, that that was really something. You know, to to witness that, that was enough to make, you know, Shelly just go, Yeah, there's this is real. Oh, this sure, is really yeah. this is really happening right now. Um Shelly and her companions claim that they've played a game of catch with Lily using a plastic ball that bounced back and forth for almost forty-five minutes. Wow. So I mean, when when you When you go and look at some of the videos of encounters like this, you know, these things happen in seconds. Mm -hmm. I mean, not not even a minute worth of interaction. I mean, they are short. They are fast. And if you blink twice, you're going to miss it. Forty five minutes. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So. Again, if you believe any of this, you know, if you if you buy into the fact that Lily is the the actual spirit of a girl that is, you know, stuck inside this asylum, you know, this is showing you that this spirit not only is comfortable with people trying to interact with her, she's encouraging it. Right. She likes and it. And likes it, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, we don't really see a lot of that. No. We, we, we don't really see, you know, spirits interacting Number one for that period of time, but number two, seeming to enjoy the interaction, right, and and, and showing favoritism towards individual people, yeah, you know that's that's pretty interesting, I think,
0: and it's a unique, <sighs> real unique case.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it's it's absolutely unique, and I think that's why when you you start researching into the asylum, these are the stories that you find. Um, everything surrounds Lily because, like I said, she is the most famous. Uh, spiritual resident Mm -hmm. of the asylum. Now, the, the stories about Lily's actual life are, they're muddy at best. There are records that show that a woman with the first name beginning with E was admitted and did indeed give birth to a baby girl. Now, there is a psychic that has been in the asylum many, many times, that feels like she has created a bond with Lily's spirit, and that she will feel Lily tug on her skirt, even hold her hand. Now, she says that according to the feelings that she gets, this woman with the first name E resides in a room on the second floor. She's an old, um, unhealthy woman, but she feels her presence. And she feels this bond between this woman and Lily. Lily will not accompany her to the second floor. She will stay where she is, but will not go to the second floor. So she feels like these two spirits are tied together. Now, like I said, there, there are real, actual records of a woman with the first name E giving birth to a child. Now, could this child be Lily? We don't know.
0: Yeah, um, maybe.
1: But it's possible. You know, it, but, you know, some of this just, I think, is fodder to feed the story. Sure. In a lot of ways. Um, but another story is of a woman named Gladys Ravenfield, who was abandoned by her husband. She was admitted after she was raped by a group of soldiers. And so after Lily's birth, she, too, became a resident mm-hmm. of the asylum. And she just stuck around. Right. And she's still there to this day, you know. So some pretty impressive stories. Oh, yeah. From this place. And, yeah. and when we take everything into consideration and you look at the the history uh, of the building, the, the the violence that was there, you know, the the poor treatment of human beings and you you look at the the structure itself, the the stone that's there. As we said at the top of the show, this place was just it is it is a magnet for this kind of activity. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you live close to there or you know within driving distance, and you you've never heard of it, I I can't believe you've never heard of it. Right. But if you if you live close enough to Weston, I'm I imagine you you know this place and you know it well. You may have even been there, but it would be worth checking out. Sure. You know, if this is your gig, I mean, I, I'm thinking if you had to pick a place to go that you think, man, what? I want to go do one of these ghost tours, but I want to make sure that I, I I experience something. I'd say uh, this is a pretty good shot.
0: Yeah, you got a right. real good shot at finding something so here. The,
1: the chances that you're going to experience something here that that's going to, you know. Freak you out a little bit, you know. Maybe even scare you. Uh, you know, give the Trans Allegheny Lunatic as- Asylum, uh, you know, a chance. Absolutely. You know, as Adam, and I said this. This really seems like it's it's worth the money, um, if you're into this stuff. Yeah. You know, you may just want to go for the museum and the history. That's fine. Yeah. You and know? you can do that too. Yeah. Well, I, I enjoy the history. I know Adam does. Oh yeah. Boy, I, I'm a history I'd, I'd, I'd love to catch me some goats. Oh yeah, you know? dude. And and this seems like a pretty good place to give it a shot, and probably a lot less likely that you're uh, you, you know you're not going to make it. <laughs> right right.
0: <laughs> Unlike well, some of the
1: other places we've talked
0: about. Yeah, the, you know this is definitely one of those places that the speaking of the history, the history really validates what's going on now. Yeah, you know the yeah. the. Deplorable conditions, the violence, the hundred thirty years of it—all of that just validates what people say is happening. Yeah, you know,
1: and it—it think it uh, goes to you know what what we've talked about with other places, the idea of hospitals and prisons Mm -hmm. being, um, you know, being a hotbed. For paranormal activity, because of the history that's there, right? And um, this place was kind of both. Yeah, I mean, you know, it really was. I mean, you know, these people were admitted there; they weren't allowed to leave, Mm-mm. and they they were, for all practical purposes, tortured. Sure. I mean, in in horrific ways that were perfectly acceptable. Yeah. You know, in the medical community at the time. Right. You know, and like Adam and I said that it really, truly wasn't that long ago when no. some of these procedures were being performed on these folks. No. You know, so just horrible things, you know, beget horrible things. Sure. So, um, you know, it, it is, it is, it is got to be one of, one of the top haunted places in the U.S. I, I've never seen it on a list of these are the most haunted places in the United States. Mm-hmm. But I think it probably ought to be on one.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't think it gets the, the the credit that it deserves. Yeah. You know.
1: I think just the state of West Virginia should be on the list. Right. <laughs> right. So anyway, so that is that's a wrap on the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Uh thanks everybody for listening. Um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, please go visit uh our, our website, GraveyardPodcast.com, and at our website, you can listen to the show, you can find links to purchase our merchandise, um, you can become a patron, and we want to thank everybody that has taken the time to do so. Um, we, we're just releasing our, our latest Patro- uh, Patreon episode.
0: Last week. Yeah. Last
1: week, and uh, we got another one coming up very soon. Um, but... Right now, we want you to consider coming to Nashville, hanging out with Adam and myself, Hillbilly Horror Stories, uh, EVP Mediums and Macabre Melts at Hail Dark Aesthetics on October 20th. Tickets are $10. Uh, If you're still on the fence, hop off that fence, make the decision to come to town and hang out with us. It's going to be a great time. Um, Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching Graveyard Tales. And join our Facebook group to interact with Adam and myself and all of our really great listeners. Um, Please go rate and review us on iTunes. And as always, thank you for listening. And until next week, we will save you a seat in the graveyard.
0: See you soon.